Hello and welcome to the North America Gaelic Football Podcast, the home of Gaelic football here in North America. I am your host, Gareth McAlinton, along with Limerick's finest, our co-host, Connor Green. Just before we get started, a quick shout out to our sponsors, Mesida, who have been the official sponsor of the USGS since 2017. For those who don't know who Mesida is, Mesida are one of Ireland's leading manufacturers of sports kits and teamwear. They are a 100% Irish-owned family business who are passionate and dedicated in supplying their customers with the best quality gear and top-class service. So if your club is interested in getting involved with Mesida and their program, feel free to give us a direct message and we'll get you in touch with the right people at Mesida for your club's needs. All right, so we got a, a very special guest today, Mr. Peter Murray the chairperson of the Northeast Division, our home division here uh, in in Massachusetts, but New England as a whole. Peter, how are you? Good, Gareth, how are you doing? Connor, how are you? How's it going, uh, Peter? Congratulations, boys. I think this is a great idea, getting the GA out there in the greater American community. And uh, it's the first podcast, probably, it's definitely the first in the Northeast. So well done to both of you for uh, setting this up. It's great to see it. So just to kick us off, Peter, uh, can you walk us through a bit of your GA journey from where it all began to where yeah, you are today? Yeah, I'm from a half parish in North Galway uh, called Caltra, small 300 houses in the parish. And uh, Caltra would be our football club, Haskell would be our hurling club. Um, football club is home to the famous Meehan family and the hurling club is home to the Mannion brothers. Um, my, parent, my dad was always involved in the GA. He was treasurer of the Caltra club for 22 years so it's kind of ingrained in me um my club won the all-ireland club final back in 2004 which was a great achievement for a small club and i had a brother playing and another blood brother yeah. played as a, was a sub so um i came to america i started i played a little bit with same pats but i was never a star on the field so administration was my stronger suit so i kind of took more towards the administration level of it and here i am chairman of I was chairman of Galway Hurling for a long number of years before I took chairman of the board. So that's kind of my path to where I am today. What uh, what kind of population would your home club have, uh, Peter? Sounds like, it's, uh, sounds like some big achievements there for yeah, I think a small like number. I 360 houses in the parish. So um, it, it's, it was a great achievement at the time. They just got a, a great group of players together at one time and Obviously, the Meehans at the time were in their prime and it was backed by, owned by them. But there was quite a few sets of brothers on it and the Kilroys, my own brothers. And and it was a great achievement all around. Was that a senior yeah. club or junior? Yeah, they bet the Guelta from Kerry in the All-Ireland Club final in 2004. It was their first year to win a, yes. con- a, con- a county final, a Connacht final in the All-Ireland Club all in one year. Had never won anything before. That's so, phenomenal. It was a, a real yeah. fairy tale <clears throat> story, to be honest. I mean, actually, yeah, uh, that's kind of a good, uh, good stop there to kind of go on to the next question. Then, if you kind of talk about one of your best GAA memories, you know, that could be whether it's your club at home, that could be here with your club in Boston, or you know, whatever, whatever experience you had. My best GAA moment was that day in Crow Park. You know, it was all the neighbours, it was the parents of kids that we grew up with, it was nephews and nieces. That was probably for me. Was probably my. I've been to a lot of All Irelands. I watched Galway win in '87 and '88. I watched the footballers win in '98 and 2001. I watched Galway lose a lot of All Irelands, 
But I would say 2004 was the most special day I ever spent in Crow Park because, you know, when we came down onto the field afterwards, I ended up getting a photograph with my mother and father who were, you know, in their late 70s, early 80s at the time. And um, it, that was probably the most special moment for me ever in the, in the GEA. Now, is that picture hung up on your walls at home? Would you believe? I don't even know where it is, but it's in the, it's in the memory anyway, Gareth, and that's, that's where it'll always be, you know, so. That's it. You walk into our house at home and it's the same thing. Every, every picture is just me and my two brothers, you know, whether it's with our club, you know, with trophies or myself and my two brothers, two with the Armad jerseys on and me with the down jersey on. <laughs> uh, so divided home, let's just say that. But, you know, I feel like every every club, you know, it's it's very similar uh, with the GA homes at, in, at home. Every has a family picture of them with their club colors yeah. on or, you know, whether it's county. Um, it's definitely a, a, a unique, uh, unique sport where it's like a very family community oriented sport. Uh, and your club is everything, right? Your club is your religion. Oh, without a doubt. And you know that those pictures are all over the local pubs. Everyone's house you go into, you're seeing the pictures of that All-Ireland Club final day. And you'll always find a new face that was there or at it in the crowd. So it was a very special occasion. You know, there's, I think there were 728 clubs competed in senior football championship that year. So that's who competed for the All-Ireland Club final. And Calter were number one. So you, you, it's hard to top that at club level. So I think that's a good, uh, so we'll move on to the, the next, kind of talk more about the Northeast Division. So can you talk us a little bit about the Northeast Division of the of the USGA and how it evolved over time and maybe even how it evolved, you know, under your spell as chair uh, versus before? Well, it's actually, this is a very special year for the Northeast Divisional Board because this is the 100th year anniversary of the, North, of the first Northeast Divisional Board. The GA, the first game that was played here was in, I believe, in, 19, in 1889. There was a game played in Boston Common between Galway Football and Kerry. They're the two oldest clubs in the North East Divisional Board. But the first board was actually 100 years ago this year. So we're hoping that we can do some kind of a celebration at the end of the year and maybe get the president of the GA out or you know, some dignitaries from Ireland because, um, you know, when you think back to 1923, you know, it's amazing that people had the vision to set up a, a divisional board to have organised games and, you know, referees and umpires and, you know, it was 100 years is a long time. Man. So um, it's a very special year for us. I got involved. This is my seventh, my, it's my seventh year on the board. It's my fifth year as chairman. I went on as assistant secretary under... The great John McDevitt was my first introduction to the board and um, then I took over as treasurer the next year and when John Farrell stepped down as chairman, I became the chairman. So that was my route to it. It's my, my last and final year. But um, I know there's, there's a lot of good people on our board so somebody will be, there'll be somebody new next year there which is, which is a great thing really because I think, you know, five years is long enough in this job because the vices get old. Um, we all have our own clutch of friends or go to people, whether it's to help out with the fields or umpires or linesmen in Asunda. And at this stage now, when they see me coming, they're ducking and dodging because they know I'm looking for an umpire or a linesman. And, you know, I do go to the same people all the time because I know who's going to say yes. So we tend to gravitate towards our own people. So next year, there'll be a new man in that seat and 
there'll be different people that he'll be reaching out to. So, but the wheels will keep on turning, and that's the most important thing. Well, I think we can touch a little bit later on the, on the episode about what's next, you know, because this is your final year. So maybe that's something we can touch base on before the end. But, you know, as far as key events in the Northeast, uh, can you tell us some about some of the competitions and the events that's going on this year um, so people can have a better understanding of what's going on up, up this way? We haven't got, uh, we're still in the infantry stages of finalizing how many teams we'll have in the different competitions, but... You know, we have a, right now anyway, we're going to have four teams in the senior football competition. Um, hopefully two in the senior hurling. Um, last year we had only four in the, we had, I think, four in the intermediate. This year it's looking like we're going to have six, um, possibly more. Like I said, we're still working out there. The junior B football, right as of right now, it's two, but they may move up to the intermediate. Some of them may, you know, so we, one of the things we do have this year is we have five ladies junior teams we have two ladies football teams but we have um at intermediate level but we're going to have five ladies junior teams so we have three new ladies teams this year which is great to see because the ladies has been slipping a little bit over the last number of years due to immigration obviously and players not coming out and but this year we have uh, st brendan's is after putting in a junior team hartford and providence to um and we'll also have boston shamrocks and um, so I think that's it's it's great to see it, you know. And if that's all going to be at one level of junior. Is that going to be split up? Or we'll have one level. We'll, have, we'll have one level. Sean Oaks is also a junior team. I knew it there. There's five in it, which is what which is our development. There'll be five teams in it, so we'll play one round. Possibly, I think the uh, top team will go to the final, and two and three will play a semi final. So there'll be two teams knocked out. So we have 24 clubs currently in Boston. It has grown. Even since I took over as chairman, I think we might have we have a couple of new teams. We have three this year, and we have the Sean Olds uh, team also. So it's been you know we're constantly developing, and we have hopefully it'll continue to do that. Um, probably our weakest competition right now, not because of the quality, but because of the number of teams will be senior hurling. So it would be nice to see some senior hurling teams, maybe Worcester there coming up to senior eventually, or. Um, you know, New Hampshire Wolves, they're both in the Junior B and they're making a lot of progress. But we do need senior hurdling in Boston. And with two teams, it's the best of five. Competition could be over in three. It might go to four, which it did last year. And, you you know, if it, it could go to five. But you just don't know from year to year. Well, that's a good point there. You talked about um, 20, over 20 clubs. 24, that's, 24. I mean, that's a testament. Yeah, it's a, I mean, a testament that the work's being put in in the GA community, not just in the Boston area, but in New England as a whole. Um, you know, obviously we we follow Hartford, Providence, uh, New Hampshire, Portland, all them teams very well. They're in our division, but we also are very close with them guys as well, you know, as far as setting up mm-hmm. challenge games. And when they when they announced Providence and Hartford were putting a ladies team, you know, they're really they really are stepping up on the recruiting uh and really growing the game and growing that community, you know, because that's it's about making it a, a a whole community where everybody's involved. Where there's the you know the males, the females, the junior teams. You know, I even seen Hartford running youth clinics there uh, all winter long. So a real testament to them clubs to keep that going. Uh, and then uh, obviously Boston. You know, they're obviously going to continue to grow, and it's great to see some Brendans and uh, the Shamrocks putting another team in. Uh, no a testament to the clubs there in Boston. 
So over, we're on our 100th year for the Northeast. Uh, can you talk about some of the most successful clubs in the Northeast and just, you know, how they have evolved over the years as well? Well, you know, how do you, what, what do you base success on? Um, for me, I think success is the longevity of a club. And, you know, I just mentioned earlier that Galway Football and Galway and uh, Kerry Football played their first game in the Boston Common in, in 1889. I think both of those clubs deserve fantastic credit. You know, it's 130 odd something odd years later, and they're still both out there playing. Galway are still a senior football club, and the um, the um, Kerry are still a, they're playing at intermediate level. But that alone is success. They're two very successful clubs that can keep it going for that number of years. Galway Hurland was formed in 1909, another very successful club. Um, We've had so many clubs that have come and gone over the last, even since I've been here 34 years, this is my 35th year, and we've lost a lot of clubs in those 35 years, but we've gained some new clubs. Um, and some of those clubs are quite, you know, Donegal have probably been the most successful over the last five or six years. They were going for three, I think maybe four in a row this year when the Mechanistries got on top of them. But, you know, a club like that are pushing up the level of competition for every other club around them. And you're a former Max man and you know that Max are a very competitive club. Their Gales are very competitive. You know, they're all these clubs are always knocking on the door and they're always looking to, for, to win senior championships. So, um, but like I said, the longevity for me is what I like to see. You know, we, we win and we're going to lose. You'll always lose more when you're playing the game than you're going to win. But can you sustain it? Can you keep going? Can you keep coming back from those losses? And can you, you know, say, okay, next year might be our year? You know, I'll always remember uh, the Christophers when they won their the first Boston Championship with seven American-born players. That, to me, was a great story. That was success. It was their first, but it was seven American-born. Nobody gave them a shot. Lord of Mercy and Donnie Keneally, he took so many Hammerdens out in Delboy, 20, 30 pints, but he came back year after year after year. He finally got a group of players. He finally got to the top of the mountain. That's very special when you do that. So um, there are a lot of great success stories here. You know, McInnesvies is a relatively new club. Uh, Donegal is actually not that, you know, they're pretty, what, 30 years. Any of these clubs that are only 20, 30 years, 40 years, they're, they're still, to me, they're relatively new clubs. So, and... Um, I think it's there's a nice spread of wealth here, you know. You don't see the same teams dominating it year after year, which you don't want to. Tony Gall did for the last, you know, for those three years until McInnesby's came and won it this year. And it's good for it's good for the for the football, it's good for the town, it's good to see it changing and going from to the, that cup resting in a different home than the following winter. You don't want to see the same club winning it over and over again. So one who's who's uh you know, seeing a lot of what's going on behind the scenes in clubs and all that. What what advice would you have, say, for a club? What 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 are the the strong clubs in Boston doing right to keep these teams getting out on the pitch every year? Get, uh, you know, at a well, high level. you know, they obviously number one, they're probably working harder. But the one advice I'd give to every club is don't ever turn anyone away. He doesn't have to be a good hurler or footballer. He could be a fantastic administrator. Yeah. He could be the best guy you have behind the scene. Take everybody. If somebody comes out and they need a little bit of help getting to bed or an apartment, look after them. He could be the next guy that'll be chair. He could, <clears throat> he could be your next chairman, your next secretary. He could be the person that'll keep that club alive. And um, all the successful clubs yeah. are working hard. when they. Yeah, I, I, uh, I often stress that to the boys there, you know, like we, you know, for, for us now in Worcester, like being, um, you know, mostly Americans and all that, um, 
you know, we, we can't afford to turn away anyone. And you never know, you know, someone might not be great, but they might have a friend, you know. It's it's all about just broadening your, your net. Really he, could like, be, he, could, he might have a friend or he might be able to sell tickets for you. He might be right. Yeah, yeah, could anything, you know. at a banquet. Yeah. You don't know. But if you let him go, you're not going to find out. Well, the GA is about yeah. inclusion. It's about welcoming everybody. doesn't matter what race, what nationality, who they are. I say they're all welcome. That's... That's, the, that's how the good clubs are successful. And they identify these workers and they give them a job. And when you see somebody slipping away, give them a job. Bring them back in. Because um, we haven't had a lot of immigration here in the last 20 years, which has probably, it has, you know, it's wonderful to see that there are still 24 clubs here and that clubs still are as strong as they are. I know we changed the rules. I remember in 1989, when I came, 88, when I came out here, it was 10 home base and three away in senior football. That went all the way down, I think, to maybe five home base and eight away. And now it's back, I think, to seven. Is it, yeah, seven and six now. But it keeps changing. We keep changing the landscape as we get players. It's have to, you know, the, the American-born players are coming into it now. And there's two American-born on every team, which I think is fantastic to see. And uh, hopefully we'll push that to three and four so that we get more of them playing. But... We can never forget about the immigrants either, the people that are coming out that want to play our games. We always have to. we got, we got to include everybody, whether they're homegrown or they're sanctioned players or they're resident Irish-born players. We've got to try to include them all. And that's what makes for a good competition. I 100% agree with that. Hard work, I think, is, uh, the, hard work have, is the key to success in any business. And we're daily yeah. games. Different. So obviously we are getting to that stage now where more American-borns are you know, has to be on the field. What are what are the clubs in Boston and some of the greater Boston teams doing to recruit more American lads? Are they going through the schools or are they going just, you know, through conversations? What are they doing to attract these new players in? Well, I know as part of my own club, you know how you, you know, it's, it's you're kind of, far, some clubs can be fortunate. You know, a parent plays for Kerry, his son is going to play for Kerry. Parent plus from Akinespies, the sun is going to gravitate towards there. Um, so when you, you know, and then the friends will follow them. That's how it works. You're, you're, I could never see it going any other way. People say, oh, maybe you should have a draft and take these American kids. You can't do that because if I had a son or a daughter tomorrow morning that wanted to play, I'd want them to play with the club that I'm involved in. That's, that's just the way it is. That, that's the only way it makes sense to me. So, um, I don't know. I think, you know, you have a lot of the generation behind, we'll say, that are a little bit younger than me that have done some great work at the ISYL, St. Brendan's and Trinity Milton that, that have got their kids playing and they have encouraged their kids to bring their friends along. And I think we need to do more of that to get the Americans in, in, included because Gaelic football is not so different to basketball and soccer when you combine the two. So it's not hard to teach an American kid how to play both sports. And when an American kid leaves college at 21 or 22, he might even have to be getting a scholarship to D1 soccer or D1 basketball or whatever. But when he leaves at 22, there's no sporting outlet for him unless it's a, a club league or whatever. So the GEA is a great place to, to, to bring them at that age. They're still in their prime. Um, Hurling is a little different. It's so hard to, to, it's hard to teach it. Um, my sister came out from Ireland last Friday and her son wouldn't leave Ireland without his hurdle. Had to go in the suitcase. So that, you know, that dedication is what makes players brilliant. That little 24-inch hurdle goes everywhere with him. He brings it to bed. He never yeah. takes it out of his hand. 
That's the tough part about hurling over here, isn't it? You know, that's that's what you're up against as a as an American player picking it up for the first time. You know, someone who's literally just carried it everywhere with them through the childhood. They don't like, go anywhere you know, without it. So, um, it's it's an awful lot to to ask of a fella to be to be better than it's, someone. It's, you know. it's very. It's going to be very hard, Garrett, to ever break into the schools here because there are so many other sports and these all these other sports. You'll break into it hopefully, you know, at some level, but. These other schools offer scholarships for whether it's lacrosse, field hockey, baseball, basketball, you know all the sports. There's judo, there's wrestling, there's there's 20 school sports, there's track, and they all offer scholarships. So a fifteen twenty thousand dollar scholarship to some parents is a, is a huge, you know, bonus. So it's it's if the kid is talented, it's it's hard to attract them to our sport. I don't know, maybe we should have some scholarship funding that we we offer to these players and say, look at if they if you can you know if we see them if we see that they're good players, maybe clubs should say right we'll give them we'll give that player three four five thousand dollars towards his scholarship towards his college. It might help them out. It's not a lot of money, but it's 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 better than nothing. So, um, do, do you think that's something that should be explored going forward? Yes, I do think it should be something we should think about. You know, we raise an awful lot of money to bring out players from Ireland. Maybe we should raise some money to, to to create some scholarships for them here that might encourage more of them to play our games. You know, so the GA was never, was always, since I've come here, we've always been able to raise money. And there's a lot of money raised in this town for the, for our sport every year. So maybe we should consider, you know, yeah. offering scholarships to these, you know, St. Brindon's, you have the St. Brindon's youth, like I said, Trinity, Milton and ISYL. There's kids coming through there. And um, if we want to keep them, well, you got to look after them somehow. You know, it's funny. Last St. Paddy's Day, myself, Connor, and a couple of lads went out to a school in uh, Nipmuc, um, private school, boys and girls. And we went out and did a Gaelic football hurling clinic. Not one of them had ever heard of Gaelic football before or hurling. And they absolutely loved yeah. it. Loved it. How can I follow you guys? Where can I, you know, where can I get involved with this? You know, I, I almost do think there is a gap in that, you know, where yes, there's, so there's people will go to these sports, but you know, some of these schools are like, you know, you've got elite sports schools where you might have a hundred people trying out for soccer, a hundred people trying out for football, hundred people try or 50 people trying out for lacrosse. All right. Well, what about the other, you know, 20 people that doesn't yeah. make it, you know, we have something for them. And, you know, we have funding where we can get them equipment and all that stuff. So I, I do think there is a gap there that could be explored, uh, you know, along with a scholarship. Uh, but it's 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 a time, right? It's very time consuming. There's a lot of groundwork that would need to be done to really get it off the ground. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, labor that has to be go involved with it. Uh, it almost just needs somebody to take it by the scruff of the neck and run with there it, There is, right? but Garrett, the New Hampshire Wolves is a great story, how they formed you know, and how did how did they find out about it by watching a game in Shannon Airport while they were a stopover flying from Iraq to America? And I always think that you know, our, our if we could get our games on ESPN or one of the channels here, GA Go control the media rights probably in America because if you want it, that's the only way. Other than the you know, you have to go on GA Go, pay your twelve dollars, pay for your yearly subscription. But Americans love their sport. If an American was 
on a Sunday morning flicking, looking through the news channels and he hit Channel 7 and he sees a game of hurling or a game of football on it. If it's a good game, he's going to stop and watch it. And the sports, I think, are very attractive. And I think they would go, wow, I'm going to finish watching this. And maybe then their kids would see it. And if they Google GEA, Boston GEA, it's all there. There's a website there. There's directions on how to get to these clubs. And But I think that um, if you could get it out there in the media, that would be huge. I think uh, actually the last episode we did with Bernie, uh, we actually touched base on this. Like, you know, imagine if you had Gaelic football and hurling. What else is on there on a Sunday morning here in the U.S.? You know, we we talked about the, the World Cup final yeah. was in Qatar. And it was on in the summer on a Sunday morning. Or sorry, it was winter. But it was on at 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, if that game was on 2 or 3 o'clock, nobody would have been watching it because it would have been NFL, yeah. would have been on, and it would have been. But everybody was watching it because there was not nothing else on. So almost if you had that market there where, you know, what there's not, it's not really, it's not competing with NFL. It's not competing with the NHL, NBA, or any of the big well, sports. Well, you know, the main part of our season back, whether it's here or at home, May, June, July, like the All-Ireland is in July now. There's so little, there's not a lot of sports going on here in May, June, and July. Baseball is through the summer. NFL is finished. The hockey's finished. The NBA is finished. And those are three of the major four sports here that are done and you have three free months. So, and like I said earlier, Americans love their sport. So, I would love to see it on the national televisions here. I agree. I agree. <clears throat> uh, so, just real quick, can you talk about some of the positives in the Northeast Division, uh, sort of compared to the other divisions? You know, I, I think we're very fortunate here that we are so close together. I know some of the other divisions have. Uh, a definitely a bit of a drive between games. So I guess that would have been one positive. But any other you can think of that would be interesting? Uh, yeah, I think that is a huge positive. But the other positive is, you know, the, the home that we have in, in, in on a Sunday in you know, Canton is a phenomenal facility. We have a clubhouse, dressing rooms. We have access to four fields. Um, that is a huge positive for us. And, um, you know, it's, it's a big positive too because we have we still have a little bit of immigration. We have a lot of Irish people living in Boston, so... And like you said, we're not spread out. You know, it's not that fair, even if you have to go to Portland to, you know, it's three hours. But, you know, it's not out in the Midwest where they could be traveling for 10, 12 hours. I know um, Bernie, I think he might even have told the story in his podcast about the kids that traveled for 12 or 14 hours to Tennessee and after and turned around that night if they get in bed and headed back again, you know. So we're very fortunate. And we're fortunate that we have so many clubs. We have ladies, we have Camogie, we have... Um, men's football senior hurling we have the american kids playing it so there are a lot of positives and there's a lot of great ga people here in boston and you know we've a, we have a fantastic home in canton also and uh you know we've great support structures here from it's 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 a we're probably the strongest division in in, in all of north america we have the, we i think we up until now we had the most amount of clubs but i think there's i think there is one division now that's coming close to us but I think John Young would yes. uh, would have an argument argument with I, you there. I, I think he might. <laughs> I think he might have a club more than is right now, all right, in that division. So, Peter, how how uh, would you describe some of the rivalries now in Boston? And do you think do you think they could be like a counterproductive there when you when you're talking about you know the investment that goes into bringing players out from Ireland? You know, if that could be 
use towards home, you know, homegrown. Well, I don't think you'll, you know, you'll have no, you'll never have a good competition without rivalry. And we definitely have that yeah. here. And, um, you know, there is great rivalry in the senior football between the four senior clubs. There's great rivalry in the junior A football, the intermediate. There's great rivalry in the hurling. There's only two clubs right now, Father Toms and Galway. And um, there's a bite there. There's they, Every time you go out, you want to win. Um, even in the junior hurling, you have Offaly, Galway and, and Father Toms. And there's, so there is great rivalry in this town. Um, it's a, just such a pity that we lost so many clubs. We lost two or three great hurling clubs, you know, we, we've in my time we've lost four, Cork, Limerick, Tipperary and Wexford. And um, it is a shame that we've, you know, we don't have more of them because the rivalries when we had them was phenomenal, you know, there was, it was, every Sunday was helter-skelter out there. So, um, but I don't think the, I think the rivalries are great, you know, there's a, there, there, there has to be that, there has to be that bite. If you like the lad you're playing beside, you're not going to put, you're not going to, you're not going to knock heads with them. Simple as that. You you have to have. There has to be a bit of a bit of badness there sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I know you have yourselves it. with the wolves. I watched a lot of your games. There's no love lost between you. Yeah, and uh, even on the football side with Hartford as well. Yeah. I mean, I think we have a phenomenal rivalry there with them. Um, you know, and that's such a new division. You know, that junior C just started. You know, two years ago. You know, and. You know, to go back to that point about longevity with clubs, you know, there's another there's another club, Hartford, that stuck it out. You know, they were in the junior B for how many and years there, and yep. stuck and it out. They're there, they, there a went, long time. They're, 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 yep. That club is, I'd say. And went down in their first yeah. year and uh, won, uh, won a division division championship, you know. So hats off to them for sticking with it. Great, uh, great bunch of lads, but don't get me wrong, like when we're playing them on a Saturday or a Sunday, there's no love lost. <laughs> no, but, the, the, you know, the rivalry is great as long as you can leave it between the, the white lines and go into the bar afterwards and have a beer because at the end of the day, Monday morning, we all have to get up for work and you might meet the guy in Home Depot that you were yelling at on Saturday evening. you got to forget about it and move on. There's more to life than, than it too. It's a great pastime, but we have to put things into perspective when it's all over and done with at the end of at 5 o'clock on a Sunday evening and, you know. I guess a great add-on to that uh, from your statement there would be what would be your biggest challenge here in the Northeast? Um, what's our biggest challenge every year? Would, without a doubt is referees. That is our biggest challenge. Um, we don't have a lot of referees right now. We're, we're try, trying to recruit new ones all the time. Um, but I've just heard tonight that Connor and yourself are both going to referee this year, which is great because we do need all the help we can get. Um, senior football and senior hurling, it's very hard to get people to referee those games. And I think we have, uh, we're, 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 probably, we're probably at fault for the demise of that ourselves because we don't give them enough respect when they're out there. It's a tough job. They're the only one on the field and we just don't give them enough respect. And we've, we have had too many that have walked away from it over the last 20 years that they just don't want to. They don't want to take the yelling and the screaming, and we've all been guilty of it at some stage. But I think, you know, we we need maybe to follow the rules in rugby. You know, you you, you know they're, they're you'll never see you you won't see a player going up giving out to the rugby referee. Only one that can talk to him is the captain. But when it's a Gaelic game, all twenty six out there are telling him how to do his job. So, what do you think? There's the root problem of that, you know, because I, you know, I'll tell you real quick. Uh, you know, I think what well, they came here twenty eleven. 2012, I'll not name the clubs, um, just out of respect, but 
2012, I refereed one game and I came off that field saying I will never referee again, ever again, at, at anywhere. It's just, you know, it, it really is, it's demoralizing. It's, you know, I'm sure you hear it from, you know, you, you probably hear it every weekend and Canton on the weekends, like hand you the whistle and say, don't ever ask yeah. me to do that again. Because, you know, you're living with these people and working with them. And then you go in with a bar after and have a couple of drinks. And then you're call- they're calling you every name under the sun while you're at the bar. Where you talk about that, keep it between the white lines. But the same respect isn't put into that referee's position. Well, I know we had 104 games, I think. Either 102 or 104 games in Canton last year. And I was in Canton for probably 96 of those games. I missed one Sunday. No referee cost any club a game last year. But we still yell at them. It doesn't matter if we're beaten by 10 points and he gives a free that we didn't agree and we're still going to give him grief about it afterwards. And, I, and you know, if we watch the Gaelic games at home and, um, you know, the league semi-final a couple of weeks ago there between Cork and, and Kilkenny and um, downing the Cork fullback at St. Off, it was handbag stuff. And that's what we would call it. And, and I don't know if you watch the game, Connor, but... He wouldn't get a yellow card. He wouldn't even get spoken to in Canton. But he got a red card, straight red card. He just took off his helmet and he walked off and he went into the dugout. He didn't go back and tell the referee he was a, an a-hole. He didn't yell at him. He took his medicine and he walked away. That's it. But here we have to defy the referee. We have to defend ourselves. The people above in the stands have to roar and scream at him. And it's very, very hard to get anybody to go out in the middle of that field and say, I will hold this whistle for the next 60 minutes and take all what's going to come at me. And I think we're, as, as a whole, you know, our, as clubs, we have to do better. We have to, as a chair, if you're a chairman of a club and you hear your manager, you've got to say it to him, listen, you've got to calm down, you've got to stop rolling the referee. How many times have we seen a referee to blow the whistle for a free and then change his mind because somebody yelled at him? Never happens. So once he makes his decision, it's made anyway. Maybe if you approach him at halftime and say, listen, we feel aggrieved there. A couple of frees didn't go our way. You know, he might listen to you. But he won't listen to you if you're calling him all the names under the sun. And I guess it's, it's like a ripple effect. Because when you, like, we're obviously teaching these young American kids that are coming into our game and teaching them respect. Yeah. But then when you're watching the sidelines, not to call people out, but when you actually have high board members sitting on seats, given the abuse of the referee, how do you not, you know, that's a learned behavior at that point. Well, it is. And how do you expect these young American kids to say, well, you know, I'll do the referee's course. I'll referee a game. They're like, I ain't doing that. Because they see what's going on out there. And as a whole, we have to do better. We have to, if there's people in the stands, we got to call them out and say, listen, your language and your behavior is not appropriate. There's women and kids around them. But we don't do it. We just we 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 turn a blind eye on it, and it's, it it keeps getting worse. So um, that that's the hardest thing, you know. We could have between the games that are in Worcester, Portland. There could be games in Providence. There's always two or three games out of town, and we could have anything up to maybe from twelve to fifteen games on a weekend on a Saturday and a Sunday. That's fifteen referees we have to find on a Monday morning. Nobody stops and thinks how, you know, we have a lot of cajoling to do and coaxing and, ah, come on, please, you know, help us out this one time. And they don't want to do it because, you know, how often do, does somebody walk up to the referee after and says, you know, you did a good job today. Very, very seldom. But if we bring the referee out from Ireland, 
he gets respect straight away. They know he's going to referee now the way he's ref the way they're refereeing it in Ireland. Black cards straight away, um, yellow cards, red cards, dissent. They know that they cannot do it. So why can't we give our own referees the same respect? We'd have better games yes. if we did that. So it's the it's, it's you know look for fifteen referees in a Monday. Very difficult. So, Peter, am I right in saying the uh, referees course was sent out to all clubs? Is that it's, available for, for any club member? Any club or? member that wants to do it can take the referees course and then do the test online. It's there for everybody. And we have reached out to the clubs. We've, yeah. you know, I've, I have asked all the clubs. It went out in an email. And I would really encourage the clubs to think about it. And, you know, if you have referees, lads, if, 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 if guys, if you're watching Connor referee a game now, and you hear somebody yapping and roaring at him. Now you're going to go, hold on a minute, boys. He's, doing the, he's, he's, he's got two sets of eyes out there. You're sitting above in the stand with your four mates. There's, ten people, there's five people watching a game. Somebody's going to see what happened. The other four might not. But all of a sudden, all five people now seeing what happened. The referee has a split second to make the same decision that those five came to a conclusion with. But nobody stops and think of that. You know? I think it's very eye-opening as a player as well. Like, I'm like... I'll be I'm the first I'll be the first person to say I'm not a referee but I think it's very good for the player to understand the other side of the spectrum so understand what the ref like and what they're looking for you know for me I picked up a couple of tips that okay you know maybe you know all right the hole in the back the noting the the black cards you know that's always a gray area you know when to give a when to give a black card um when to give a caution you know when to give a straight red you know, like for years, we were, we almost uh, abused to a referee is like, all right, you get a yellow card and you walk off. No, that's a red is, card. Yeah. You're off. Well, I, w I went to Portland maybe two years ago. I couldn't get a referee and I went up to Portland to referee a game, a junior C hurdle game between Portland and Providence. <clears throat> and I called the two teams in into the middle of the park before it started. It's junior C hurling. You can't whistle for everything because if you do, you, the game would be just one whistle after another because they chop and they do stuff that. They don't, you know, you have to pull for the blatant bad ones, but you're trying to talk to them through the game saying, you chopped and I'll let you away with it. Because if it doesn't advance the, that, that team that's doing it, you want to let the play go. But um, every time I blew the whistle, the American kids would, well, what was that for coach? And I would tell them, yeah, this, your hand on his back, you were pulling his jersey. You, and, and they would say, okay, I'm going to try to do better. But at the end of the game, and I found it very rewarding, a lot of them came up to me afterwards and says, thanks, coach, great job. You know, now, it was easy to do it. I'm not saying I'm a good referee by, I, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, it's, it's, I just found them to be very, in the, at junior C hurling level, they're, they're very uh, mannerly. They listen to what you say. They don't argue back with you. And it was easy to do it. But we have to try to get that into our, our more competitive levels of hurling and football that people would just say, okay, he's, he's, he's doing the best that he can out there, you know? So. But I guess the other side of that is, you know, you want to make sure that the referees we are putting out there are up to standard. You know, would you put a junior referee into a no. senior game where, you know, where are they going to really take command of the field? No. Cause you know, that, that there's the, certain attributes for a referee especially at the senior and intermediate level where you need to be able to hold your own out there. You know, if you're, you know, if you're lost out there, that game can get very ugly, very it quick. can, yeah. 
you know. But we picked the referees for the games, and we bring referees out from Ireland, and we will again this year. We were very fortunate last year. Morris Condren came in five weekends, and he would do Saturday and Sunday games, hurling and football. Anthony Coyne came out and spent two weekends with us, and James Malloy came out and spent three. So um, we were very, you know, and we're, we, we have some of these guys lined up to come out again this year, but we still need the homegrown referees to go to New Hampshire and to, to do the junior Bs and the junior Cs. But we will do what we can to get senior hurlers, senior football, intermediate football referees out from Ireland as best we can. But we're not always guaranteed it every weekend. There's going to, sometimes the homegrown guys have to do it. And, um, you know, I, I do admire them for doing it and I appreciate them doing it. And without referees, we wouldn't have Sunders lads. It's as simple as that. We can't, we can't officiate it. We can't run a game without a referee. So we have to keep that in mind when we go out in that field. And 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 um, if you're good enough, you'll win. Referee won't beat you. A good, uh, you know, whenever you're talking to these referees that come out for Ireland, you know, when they're explaining the big difference between, you know, maybe refereeing games in Ireland versus in Canton senior games. What are they? What are they telling you? Believe it or not. You see, when when a, when a referee comes out from Ireland, the, the, if you had if you put two senior football teams together on the first on the first Sunday in June with a homegrown referee and put the same two teams out the second Sunday with a with a referee out from Ireland, the respect that they give him is totally different because they know he's going to blow for everything. There's no shenanigans. There's no back chat. There's no cheek. There's no foul language. They know they're getting a red card if they talk to him in the wrong way. But if the guy the Sunday before gives them a red card, he's the biggest bollocks in town. Plain and simple. Jesus Christ, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> Our very own Frankie is certainly probably talking his own fair share, uh, fair share of abuse. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he gives it his good back on the field too. He'll call them right out in the spot. Uh, but no, you're right. You know, the lads that come out from Ireland, you know, it's almost there. Uh, almost... You know, am I right by saying a little bit of, you know, buttering them up a little bit? Well, they, they, they know that these guys are they're serious referees. And, you know, James Malloy refereed our final last year. And, and he, he did, a, you know, he's done some league games this year at Intercounty level. Like he's a top-notch referee, as was Anthony Coyne. So. And uh, we also had uh, Alan Kelly from Galway for one weekend too. But they're all good referees. They know the rules. You know, the best referees will make mistakes, so. Um, I don't want to be sound too negative about it, you know. The more referees we have, the better. The more respect we give them, the better they're going to get. Uh, you won't make anybody better in any job by yelling or screaming at them. We all know that. You won't make your kids better by yelling or screaming at them. You've got to tell them what to do wrong and hope that they try to do better. You've got to do the same with the referees. If you talk to them in the, in the right manner afterwards and say, gee, you were a bit hard on me there, he might listen. But if you go over telling him he's nothing but a bollocks, he ain't listening. You know? So... I wish the two of you the best to look any boys. Bring the earplugs, <laughs> bring the earplugs with you to Captain. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, we'll give it a go. You know, and that's and I think it's good from a player's perspective because, you know, uh, you know, I've seen a couple of really good referees coming out and the, I think the best referees as a player is the ones that talk yes. to you on the field, right? The ones that are very vocal and, you know, will maybe allow advantage to play and you know they'll stop playing, they'll talk, and it's like, listen, what? Because you're, we're we're all human. We all have that initial reaction. You know, it's a contact sport. The blood's flowing. We have that initial reaction. What was that for? But when you have a referee come over and it's like, listen, this is what I saw. I saw the hand on the back. I yes. seen the jersey pulled. Fair yeah. enough. All right, 
you know what am i going to say to that you know yeah. that's you know once that initial kind of like blood rush goes down you know then all right okay i see what you i, I see what you're talking about so i think if we can kind of take that you know into it and you know talk especially as some of the lower levels with you know in our division with a lot of uh, american-born players that are new to the game i think it'll help them with their development as well and not yes not call everything especially you know you obviously played your uh you did the refereeing up in uh up in portland yeah. you know and try not to call this the silly stuff but let it flow but have that conversation aside so i think that's a good learning curve for any new referee yes. talk to them tell them what they're doing wrong and but you know at junior c level it's you have to be very careful or it'll be a whistle happy afternoon connor you've played a lot, good bit of junior c Ireland, and it's different in the junior c football guys it's it's not quite as as um you know it's much different in the in the hurdle. Because when you're putting your when you put out the hurdle for the ball, stick cannot come down across it. It's a chop, and they do it all the time. So, um, but that's it. Well, I, I, that's all I'd like to say about the referees. I do appreciate the people that do it, and I would like to get some new ones. And um, we'll do the best that we can as a board to monitor the sidelines and to stop people. You know, to try to explain to people that what, we're, what you know, roared and yelling and we're not going to encourage people to do the courses if we don't treat them with respect. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think the course is, uh, is a great thing to do. Uh, you know, just quiz your own knowledge there. I definitely picked up a few things yeah. that I wouldn't have even known. And I've been playing, playing GA obviously all my life. Well, there's uh, so many so. new rules now, lads. I don't think there's too many people in the stands anymore that know them. Harlan and football, they're both so different. You know, there's, there's, you can get a free in hurling now if you're 30 metres out. If there's a goal chance on and you pull down, the cornerback comes up and pulls down the full 40s one-on-one with the goalie. Whoever thought that would come into it, you know? So black cards in football, yeah. 10 minutes, you know, sin bin in the ladies. It's, it, there's a lot of new rules that have come in over the last 20 years to speed up the game and to make it better. And, uh, but it is hard to keep up with them. And I think um, probably everyone should go on and do it and have a look and see. Maybe even if, if, more, if players did it just out of curiosity, to see how many rules that, that know they might not be as knowledgeable as they think. Yeah. Especially that advanced mark. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> that was one of the ones that got me like, you know, it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, you're talking about speeding up the game. In my opinion, I think it slows it down, but especially, you know, in the full forward line, I love the, I love the mark from the kick out where, you know, in between the midfielders and somebody goes up and catches a clean, but the, you know the inside forward that catches it. I agree with you, you know. Gareth. I think it's you get a guy with a good pair of hands. He comes out and catches the ball. Now he's a free pop of the post. If he's that good, let him take on the cornerback and kick it over. It's not given the the back has no chance. He's he, it's so hard not to foul him going out for that ball. If the guy is bigger and stronger, he's going to catch it. He's at least if the guy is left, he could block him. He could take it off him. He could dis, dispossess him. But he's no chance. It's given no chance to the the, the, the backs. Especially in uh, when you go down the divisions, you know, senior football, you're going to have crafty cornerbacks. But you know, when you get into the B and C division, it's very easy to put a six foot five lad up there and just hoof yeah. it into him and let him catch a yeah. mark. You know, it almost takes the skill out of it. It takes that, you know, it takes the speed out of the game. Uh, but you know, we could be here all day talking yeah. about that rule. But you know, that's that's one thing I would question hey. and maybe move uh, in the in the. Let's. Uh... Let's think of the inside forwards now here. I, I don't have any problem with the mark at all. No, just just putting that out there. 
So, Peter, can you touch a bit about um, like the rules for teams now with home? You know, there's a lot of them there with between home base, away base, yes, and, uh, home homegrown. You know, with the different divisions yeah, and all that. Um, um, well, there has to be two homegrown players on all teams across the board right now. Hurling football um, at, at at the higher levels, and obviously at the lower levels, then the junior C is ten homegrown players. Um, the sanction that they homegrown for the um, senior football, any of the senior intermediate football, you can only get an inter-county transfer by April 13th. Um, and that makes you uh, a home-based player. Obviously, an inter-county transfer, you're not allowed to go back and play for your own club within that year. After April, after March, it's March 13th, sorry. After March 13th, the, all players are on a sanction that come out to the senior football clubs, intermediate clubs, or the junior A. Um, in Hurland, you are allowed to get a sanction up to, you can get a sanction, a home-based sanctioned player before April 13th. You can do the same in the ladies' football, I believe. So after April 13th, all players are away base in senior hurling, junior hurling, or the ladies. So um, we have, in hurling, we have, we have six home base, two are homegrown, and seven away at senior level. At junior level, we have two Americans. You can have ten home grown on the. You have to have ten home base on the field and three away base. In the senior football, I believe it's um, seven home base. Two have to be American born at senior level, and then six are in our um, summer players, sanctioned players. That is at the senior level. Intermediate level, it's eight and five. Two of them have to be home grown. Junior A is. 10 and 3, 2 have to be homegrown. And um, Junior B, it's, I believe it's 10 and 3 as well, 2 homegrown. And then Junior C is, um, have to be all all homegrown. So, will you? Yeah, and that's a tough one too for our division because, you know, it's uh, only three Irish yes. lads on the field at one yeah. time. Uh, you know, and it's, that's where it forces you to get more American kids in. Uh, but is there a deadline for, uh, American kids when they can sign can they sign at any time only if they're a first time they're, the first time they sign they're allowed to sign up until the 1st of August but if they have registered previously with a club they have to be in the registration before the home base deadline of either March 30th for senior football or for any day for the senior intermediate football and for the Harlan April 30th if they want to play so if they were transferred from a club that have to do the same as all the Irish guys if they were brand new to it it's 1st of August. They had never signed and never played here before 1st of August. Perfect. So that's good for yeah. any new lads that maybe are coming in and thinking about yeah. it. You know, they can come in, try it out, and uh, and hope then they stay, right? Once, that, so American is, once that American kid is signed up after his first year, he his the same rules applies across the board, whether you're American-born or Irish-born. So there's, it gets very complicated yeah. here because we're constantly changing those rules as we have more American-born players, less Irish-born players, more Irish. You know, it's, it's, there's always motions to Congress to change it. And um, so it's constantly evolving. It would be nice if we could keep it the same. But, you know, if you've got a huge flux of Irish players out here with immigration over the next five years, the amount of resident players would, would increase and the amount of sanctioned players would decrease which would be better for us because it would be 
it would be easier to run it if we had more players that were capable of playing at senior level living in the town. So what you're saying is, even though Connor's got that lovely Limerick accent, uh, even though he's born here in the US, he's still Irish, right? Correct. Because Connor might have been born here, but he came up through the youth system in Ireland. Correct, Connor? He didn't. He didn't uh, yeah. come up through the youth program here in America. If you're if you're born in Ireland, if you're born here and go home, you're still considered an, an Irish player. It's, it all depends on what youth system you came up through. Now, what if what if you were let's just say you born here, right, and you never played youth at home. You know, but you moved home for a few years and you come back out here at like nineteen twenty. But you never signed you for a Gaelic American club. player. Yeah, okay. if you have never played, I think up to under eighteen at home, you can sign as an American boy. Yeah, we've yeah. had some cases in that where kids have, you know, been born here, moved home, never really played, never joined a club, came back here and wanted to sign. They've been signed as an American boy player. It's kind of a grey area, yeah. you know, should they be signed as possibly, well, you know, they haven't come up through the youth program in Ireland or in America, so they were born here, so it's kind of a, a, a grey area. Yeah, it's, it's funny how much you see that too around, uh, you know, foreign GA clubs, you know, that someone might have never played GA yeah. back home, but they'll yeah. pick it up, you know, over in God knows where, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's great when you move somewhere and you're just looking to make a few friends, you know, and you can look up on Google, you know, whatever you can, social media, you know, find without a doubt. Have- that's, that's that's the goal, really, isn't it? You know, just to get a get a club in as many cities it as is. possible. And, like- and you know, they'll help you get an apartment. They'll help you get work. They'll help you out if you're, and especially if you're, if you're, you know, if you get right involved in a club, you know yourselves. You're going to look after them. So it is a great way to start a, a life for yourself in a different city. I have a niece now moving yeah, to Vancouver, definitely. and I told her, the minute you get off that plane, find a, find a club. Find who's playing out there. There's lots of them. Get involved. You'll have an instant, you'll have a bunch of friends yeah. that first night you go down training. So just to get on to GA going forward, uh, where do you see your own involvement in the GA for the short and the long term? Do you see yourself in any Well, you know, I'm, like I said, it's my last year as the divisional chairman. I've enjoyed it very much. You know, it was a great experience. Um, would I, you know, I don't know, maybe take a year out and travel a little bit more because when you're chairman of the divisional board, you're May, June, July and August, the summer months, Saturdays and Sundays are swallowed up by it. So it's, it's, it's a huge commitment and you have to be there. So I know it'll be nice being able to say to the wife, yeah, where are we going? Or, you know, we're not, I'm not committed to the, the cantons. Would I like to go on the North American County board down the line? I would, yeah with the right people. It would have to be with the right people. Um, I've always enjoyed being an administrator and and, um, if I had something to offer, it's probably what I'd like to do. Would you have any plans or goals in mind if you did get involved in the USGA County Board? It's not something I've really thought about yet. Um, uh, You know, because it's, 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 I've been so involved here. When you're running for those positions, if you have goals, I had, you know, that's something then that you'd sit down and think about, but it's not something that I have really thought about yet. Yeah. I presume you've heard about the, the all-star team. The, the junior Peter. footballers. Yes, I did. And yeah. I think that's, it's, I think it's fantastic that we have, we possibly have a, hopefully in 2024 could have a junior team 
going back from America to represent North American GA and I know if there is a game in Crow Park, I will definitely be in the stands because I think it'll be a very historical moment. And um, we have some fantastic American-born players. We have some incredible players here in Boston, and there are some great players all over the United States. So I think they'd be a very competitive team, and I think they'd give it a great shot. And um, the first year would be very interesting because I think they'd be very underestimated going over there. You know, the Boston Fela team last year won the won the under-15, I think, D-level at the Fela, which was an, a fantastic achievement, you know, all-American-born kids to go over to Ireland and to bring a trophy back out of it. And the girls weren't too far away. So there is great kids coming through. There's great kids coming through in Boston, and I'm sure it's the same in some of the other divisions, Philly, Chicago, and, and San Francisco and stuff. So, Do you think uh, we could see more all-star teams in the future now? Uh... Do you think you could almost see a USGA team in the Talton Cup or, yes. or uh, you know, in one of the lower down early I do. I think maybe? down the road, eventually, you know, everything, anything is possible. You know, when I came out here 34 years ago, there was, I think, only in the in the 90s, there was two two American kids playing. One for me, I think uh, Clark was his name, and 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 there was a Fleming for Cork, and um, they were they, they were two very good athletes and very good footballers. But then Donny Connelly's kids came along and the ISYL. And we've seen massive improvement over the last 10 years. And we're, if, we, if, we, if it improves as much in the next 10 years as it has in the last 10, we're going to be in a great place in Boston and in North America. And I think there's 160 clubs in North America now. I think when I came out here, there might have been 50 clubs. You know, that's huge number. There was only four places where... San Francisco, Boston, Chicago, and Philadelphia. New York is different, but in North America, there was four cities. How many cities are there now? You know, so it's um, if it if it keeps growing the way it's growing, without a doubt, Connor. I think Talchin Cup, Mickey Rackard and Hurland, or you know, maybe Christy Ring down the line. But anything is possible. It all depends on the players and the people, the people like us that are going to keep driving them forward and and, and uh, keep working with them. Like, yeah, even look at this you know, sometimes you just need uh, you just need someone to take the bull by the horns, don't you? You know that's kind of what we're trying to just to bring a bit more transparency transparency to what's yeah. going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, hoping that more people will get will more more exposure will lead yes. to more people yeah. involved. And and you could get it on more people if we could get it on, on the teams. telly. We'd be that's when you'd get the exposure. That's when people would start going. Yeah, you know, I wasn't 100%. good enough for college basketball, but I'm good enough to play Gaelic football. You know, and and yeah. you make a great midfielder. And it's a great, you know, <laughs> the GEA is a wonderful social outlet. It's a it's a great social setting. You know, we meet we meet great people along the way. You know, I always say to people that the journey has been brilliant the last thirty four years in Boston with the people that we've met and from all different parts of Ireland. And you look at us here tonight, a Limerick man. Uh, you, I don't know if you're down or am I, because you saw Tommy. You were wearing both jerseys, guys, but you know. Uh, just uh, if you if you ask me, I'm from down. If you ask me, two brothers, I mean, ma and dad, they'll tell you are ma. So you know, like it's it's a it's a great um, the journey is great, lads, and and I hope these American kids get the same kick out of it that that, that I did, and I'm sure you're getting the same kick out of it too. So what would you see? What would you see as the biggest challenges now facing Gaelic football in the coming years? In I the think US? the biggest challenge we're facing is a lack of immigration, because we're going to have to get the American kids into administrative roles if immigration doesn't pick up. Because in the last 30 years, there hasn't been, you know, 
when I came out here 34 years ago, there was two playing folks coming every week. It was incredible through the 80s and early 90s. It probably started, stopped in 91 or 92. Then there was a huge gap. And a lot of those people that came in those years ended up going back. So we have had, you know, through B1 visas and, and, and um, stuff, we have had a small bit of immigration, you know. But how many players have, do, does each club get? So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge is that is keeping to sustain the clubs. We're going to have to make sure we have people that are going to do the work at an administrative level. And that's probably, you know, the American kids will have to step into those roles just like we did when we weren't able to play anymore. So um, that's the biggest challenge I see. I'd love to see immigration open up. And if it did, this, this thing would go, it would, it would just explode again like it did in the 80s, 90s. I guess a challenger is an opportunity too, because now clubs are almost being forced to get out and promote the sport, you know, and get more involved. And I feel like, you know, when you're personally more involved in the club, you care more about the yeah. club. You actually want to see it grow, you know. So when you're in them administrative roles and in the back, you know, you 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 feel more invested in the club, you know. So you're willing to have those conversations, you know, when you're at the gym or where you're at the bar and it's like, geez, you ever heard of game yeah. football? You should come down and try it out. You know? So I feel like we can almost be doing a better job with that as a whole. You know, I know some of the clubs are doing a great job with that, you know, but we are forced to, you know, that is, yes, it's a challenge, but it's an opportunity now to get new people to get the, you know, everybody involved because it is, it's a great sport. And once you're in it, you know, the community behind it, like you should look at Cantoner on a finals weekend on a Sunday, the amount of people out there are watching the games. It's phenomenal. It you know, where do you, where do you see that? It is. And, and um, it is, there's no doubt about it. And the, the, the quality of the games are top class here. And, you know, we have, it's wonderful and long may it continue. So um, what else can we say about it? The, the, the more, the more, the merrier, the more people we can get involved, the better. So, and, and, I think it's very important now that we get more Americans involved in our committees. They're coming through the youth. Now we got to get them involved, whether it's refereeing, managers, chairman. You have it in your club. You know, Portland have it. Those are all American clubs, Providence and, you know, Hartford. There's not a lot of Irish in it. And they have some great American administration, administrators. And so, and it's all over the U.S., so. So uh, over the years, there's been a couple of, Pretty big names coming out in the Gaelic football community. Uh, have we any spoilers for the upcoming season? <laughs> no, I have no spoilers. I haven't heard of, uh, of of any rumblings of any top-notch inter-county players coming. So I'd say... But I'm sure there, there will, will be. be. I'd say probably in another three, four weeks that, you know, all the clubs, right, all the counties right now, are, the, the championship hasn't started. So as you see, teams getting knocked out in the next three or four weeks or five weeks, you're going to start to... Uh, here, who's who's on the move? But you know, I, I it's 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 um, an interesting part of it for for as a spectator and as the chairman. I like to see the high profile players. You know, it's nice to see one or two or three. There was there was a great bunch of them here last year between all the senior clubs. They had some phenomenal players, and we have seen some incredible players play here in Boston. You know, Peter Canavan and Joe McNally, Sean Ogdepoir, Declan Meehan. Jim with Conley. Look at look at the talent we've seen here in football and 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 uh, you know hurling the last. It's been incredible, you know. So hopefully we'll see some new upcoming talent again this year. So I'm hope so. I'm hopeful too. 
And just to go back on that, you know, that junior team that does go over and plays in the All-Ireland. Remember, some of these American kids are playing senior football with the likes yeah. of Connolly and them players and holding their yeah. own. That's how good some of these American kids are. And, you know, if they don't have the respect for these boys coming over, they're going to get some shock because these boys are, these boys are great footballers. Well, you know, I've we, been involved in a hurling club. Some of the players that come out from Ireland, they, you know, they look at the American kids playing and I was down in the, you know, last year down in the park. So one of the Irish kids asked, he says, what, what, a young American kid came down training one night. He's only 15 years of age. And um, he hadn't played, he hadn't been down all summer. His parents are from Galway and he plays, he goes home every summer for four or five weeks. But he was after coming back from Ireland. So he kind of has a mix of an Irish-American accent. But one of the guys, when he saw him doing the drill, he says, what county is that kid from? And we said, he's from Watertown or Waltham. He says, no way. He says, he couldn't be American. I says, he's an American kid. He says, he can't be an American kid at that age hurling like that. No, it's brilliant. Uh, it's great. It's great to see. And, yeah. you know, long may it continue, you know, lads like that and stories like that, uh, you know, because there is an opportunity. And especially here in the Northeast, you know, the Irish American community. I mean, there's more, what do they say? There's more Irish here in the U.S. than there is at home. Yeah. You know, with the generations of Irish people that's been here. So, you know, what what better way to celebrate than, you know, a sport like Gaelic football and hurling where lads and girls and kids can all go in, you know, and experience it as well. Um, but, Peter, uh, I think that's a good time to kind of wrap it up. Um, yeah. We appreciate your time. Uh, we wish you the best of luck in the, in the upcoming season. Uh, I know it's going to be another great year. Uh, last year, you know, it was, a, it was phenomenal to be involved with it, and I'm sure another successful year is ahead. All right, boys. Thank you both very much for the invite. Um, it's always good to spread the... It's always nice to spread the, the good news about Boston GEA, and um, we should all be very proud of it. And uh, I wish you both the best of luck on the field and with your whistle this year, boys. All right, so before we wrap up, I uh, just want to thank Peter for coming on. Um, thank thank uh, anyone who's listening out there. If you like this episode... Um, just leave us a like, follow, subscribe, whatever you can do. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you think. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right, thanks, boys. Peter. Thanks for the invite. Keep up the good work. Anytime. See, see you soon.